title of our class. I'm calling it Man to Man, Man to Man. Right now we're talking about the man and his manhood. As we said last uh, week, before we can become better husbands, before we can become better fathers, we must first become better better men, better men. Uh, when we become a better man, then that automatically will help us become better husbands, better fathers, better grandfathers, better uh, just better people, and, and that just laps over into every area of our life. Um, I can't teach you anything new. In fact, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, but yet, for some of you in here, especially some of you younger guys, and good to see some of you younger guys in here, uh, what I'm going to talk about uh, will be new to you. It's not new, but it'll be new to you. Uh, many of you have um, uh, been around for a while, may not necessarily be new, but how many know that it's not, it's not the fact that we don't know things, the problem is we know what to do and we don't do it, Right? That's the problem. Uh, but we're in good company. We're in good company because the Apostle Paul, you know, one of the greatest, greatest men that ever lived, uh, possibly the greatest apostle ever, uh, same thing with him. Uh, in Romans chapter 7, Paul writes about the constant tug of war that takes place between our flesh and our spirit. Paul writes here and he says, I know what to do. He says, uh, I'm fully aware of what I, I, I'm supposed to do and even what I want to do, he said. But he said, what I, I want to do, I have a hard time doing. And what I don't want to do is what I often end up doing. And that's the Apostle Paul. Um, so our problem is not that we don't know what to do as a man, as a husband, as a father. The problem is pulling it off, right? The problem is getting her done. Well, I may not tell you anything that you don't already know, but hopefully I can stir you up a little bit and help you get a little more focused and a little more aggressive and a little more determined to get her done, get her done. Well, last week we began laying a foundation on how to become a better man. Last week we said that in order to become a better man, we must first have a healthy self-image. We said that most men get their self-worth from what they do. That's where they get their self-worth. That's where they get their value, through what they do, their vocation, their career, what they, what they do. The fact of the matter is you could ask a man, just in general, just about any man, you could ask the average man in America today who he is and he will tell you what he does. Ask him who he is and he'll respond by telling you what he does. fact of the matter is if you were to meet somebody that you didn't know and you're hanging out with them for a little while, what is the first question you're going to ask that man? What do you do? That's just, yeah, what, what do you do? So much of our self-worth and much of our value is tied to what we, what we do. We also said that when we were boys, we got our self-worth or our, 
or our value from, from our fathers. We either got it or we didn't get it, but that's where we looked for it. That's who we look to for it. Problem is, most fathers don't know about or practice the act of validating their sons. It's not that they don't want to most of the time. It's, not, it's, it's because they've not been taught and they don't understand the vital importance that it is. Um, many, if, if not most boys, and especially, especially men in my generation, and men older than me, of course, for sure, but men in my generation or close to my generation, there, I think there were probably more that did not receive validation from their fathers than did receive validation from their fathers. Because it, it wasn't taught. It, was, it just wasn't something that, 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 that we talked about. But what we discovered last week is true self-worth and true validation doesn't come from what we do as a man, and it doesn't necessarily or shouldn't come necessarily from our fathers as a child, but true validation and true value comes from discovering what? Whose you are. Whose you are. And we spent most of the time talking about that last week. But for those of you that were not here last week, you need to, to know whose you are. You are God's prized creation. You are a child of the Most High God. He loves you, he's proud of you, and he desperately wants a relationship with you. Last week I said that there are three things that you need to know in order to become a better man. First thing you need to know is whose you are. By the way, if you were not here last Wednesday night, I encourage you to get online. We have it online. Get online and listen to that teaching. Second thing that you need to know, and that's our lesson for tonight, the second thing you need to know in order to become a better man is you need to know who you are. Not only do you need to know whose you are, but you do need to know who you are. First thing you need to know is you didn't come off of an assembly line. God did not make a mold for all of the Mikes and one for all of the Johnnies and one for all the Bills and one for all the Marks. We did not come off an assembly line. We were not all made from the same cookie cutter, but God made each and every one of us. He made us unique. He made us different. Now, there are similarities. We're going to talk about some of that tonight. And yet, we are all unique and different. In fact, some of you are really different. <laughs> Just kidding. Psalm 139 and verse 14 says, Thank you. The psalmist says to God, Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. But verse 13 says, I want you to notice, it says, he, the psalmist says, you shaped me both inside and outside. So the psalmist said to God, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. You shaped me both inside and outside. To become the best man that you can be, you need to discover who you are. Who you are on the outside. That's pretty easy. 
All you got to do is look in the mirror to discover who you are on the outside. And there's some things about you on the outside that will probably dictate your strengths, your weaknesses, what you're able to do, what you're unable to do. For instance, if you're five foot two and weigh 110 pounds, you're probably not going to be the defensive tackle for the Dallas Cowboys. Probably not. If you're short and chubby and can't run, can't jump, probably not going to be on the Mavs. Pretty easy. All we got to do is look on the, look in the mirror, and we can see. All we got to do is look at ourselves on the outside. And there are some obvious things. Don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out some things. I really love it when there's, you know, some guy's about six foot five, you know. And he's six foot five, and inevitably, the first question people ask him is what? Do you play basketball? No, he's six foot five. Do you play basketball? And what's funny is often he says, no, and I'm just thinking of the poor basketball coach that has to walk down the hall every day and see that big, tall kid that doesn't play basketball. Not hard to discern the outward and see some obvious signs on the outside. And sometimes as dads, and we're not necessarily talking about dads, now we'll get into that in, 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 uh, at another lesson, but I would just, just hit, just kind of hit and run on this. Sometimes as dads, we frustrate our children by trying to live our dreams through them. Uh, by encouraging and even forcing them to do things that they're not good at or not even even remotely interested in. But we liked it as a boy, so we think because we liked it as a boy that they should like it as a boy. And oftentimes we make uh, them feel like there's something wrong with them because they're not like us or they don't like the same things that we do or all of this has a point. We need to know who we are, who we are. Not, not some stereotype to somebody stereotyped us, you know, you know, just because I'm a preacher doesn't necessarily mean my son had to be a preacher, and I didn't put that label on him. But we tend to stereotype sometimes. And we need to be careful with that because that's very unfair to our children, and, uh, and then for us, it's unfair for us because, well, that's dad, so I want to make dad happy. I want to want dad to be happy with me. I want dad to be pleased with me, so I'm going to jump through the dad hoops to make him be happy with me and all of that. Well, I'm going to tell you, life's way too short. We need to discover who we are, who we are, and who God designed us, and who God created us to be, not who dad wants us to be or grandpa wants us to be or society wants us to be, but we've got to decide who we are, who we are. You still tracking with me? Uh, maybe we weren't good at something as a kid, but we wanted to be, and so we try to live out our, our dreams through our kids. Only problem is they have their own dreams. 
of their own dream. We can discover who we are by examining ourselves on the outside, but also on the inside. On the inside. And we're going to talk about the inside for a while tonight. The outside is a little more obvious and easier to understand and make sense of. It's the inside stuff that gets complicated. Have you ever heard anyone say, I can't understand why all my kids turned out differently. I raised them all alike. Well, why would you do that? Why would you raise your kids all alike? If, if, if everyone is unique, if everyone is different, why would you treat everyone alike? Why would you raise them all alike if they are not alike? Let me ask you this. Did your kids all respond to you alike? Or do you that have kids now that are at home? Do your kids, do they all respond to you alike? Uh, do you do yours or did your kids require the same kind of discipline? No. When Chad was a baby, my son, when Chad was a baby, he, he wanted to be cuddled and he wanted to be rocked to sleep. And that's how we got him to sleep. We cuddled him and we, and we held him close and we rocked him. That's how he liked to go to sleep. So Krista comes along, and so, you know, how do you get your babies to sleep? You rock them, and you hold them, and not that girl. You don't, you don't cuddle and rock that. I'm not saying she didn't cuddle. I'm not saying she wasn't loving. I'm saying that's not the way she went to sleep. That's the way she let you know she wasn't happy. (laughs) Just lay me down and leave me alone and I'll go to sleep. When I was a kid, we're talking about the fact that, you know, everyone's different. When I was a kid, um, all my parents had to do was just, just give me that, just give me that look, you know, especially my dad. Just give me that, that if you don't straighten up, I'm getting the belt out look. And all, all it took for me was the look. How many's ever seen the look? All I needed was the look. My brother, on the other hand, he it, it required a two before upside the head. The look didn't work for him. You know I'm teasing a little bit there, but we're going to talk more about this when we start talking about how to become a better father. But what I'm saying is to become a better man, you must discover who you are who you are not what other people want you to be who you really are who God made you to be and then once you discover who God made you to be then be you because you can be a far better you than an imitation of someone else Psalm 139 says that God not only formed our outward parts, but also he formed our inward parts. God placed inside us or within us all that we would need to fulfill his purpose for our life. 
And we can never discover God's purpose for our lives without discovering what God placed on the inside of us. And what God placed within us is a clue as to what God wants for us and what he wants us or what he wants to do with our lives. Say part. Part of what God formed or created inside of us is our personality. Our personality. God gave us our personality at conception. If you've had children, you know very early on, even as babies, you start seeing their little personality come out, right? See their little personality come out. God gave us our personality at conception. The personality that God gave us, he gave us on purpose. On purpose and for a purpose. And our personality is a clue, just one of many, but it is a clue as to who God created us to be and as to what he wants us to do with our lives. If you have siblings, how many of you have siblings? Did your mom or your dad ever say, why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your sister? Ever heard that? Or did they ever say that about you? to their siblings. Why can't you be more like Mark? Why can't you be more like Bill or whatever? Problem is, God created Mark to be Mark and he created Bill to be Bill and he created Sam to be Sam and he created Mike to be Mike. On purpose. For a purpose. And it's a clue as to who God wants us to be and as to what he wants us to do with our lives. So we're going to spend some some time tonight talking about personality. And I know that doesn't sound very spiritual. And you can't find the word personality in the Bible, so don't look in your concordance. But personality is in the Bible. And I'm, and I'm going to tell you that it will help you. If you, could get, if you can get a, a good grip on this, it will, it will help you. Help you understand who you are. It will help you understand who your wife is. It will help you understand who your children are, why they respond like they respond, why they think like they think, why. It'll just, it really, really will help you. I, I heard this teaching many, many years ago, and it just made so much sense to me, and it's just really, really helped me. Uh, down through the years, helped me to understand why I can present one thing to my son and he'll respond one way. I can, res- I can present it to my wife and she'll, present, she'll, she'll respond another way and I can present it to my daughter and she'll, she'll see it my way because <laughs> she's a lot like me, okay? So it really, even though it may not sound very spiritual, I promise you it can really, really help you in your life and uh, help you understand yourself a little better and understand other people and why they respond the way they respond and why they act the way they act. 
mean, it just, you know, it, you know, it'll help you understand the people you work with, people in your office. It helps me understand my staff. It helps me understand my board members. If you truly understand somebody's personality, you can, be cut, you can basically know how they're going to react to certain situations before it ever even happens or before you present something. You can go to a meeting. If you know these people really well and you understand the basic personality traits and know what their personality trait is, you can know. You can have five people sitting in there and you can know before you go in there what the, who's going to respond and how they're going to respond. Well, it's, it's very, very helpful. And when you understand your own personality and understand that each personality trait has its strengths and its weaknesses, you can pull back in some areas and you can press through in some other areas. Now, again, let me say this. I'm not, I'm not teaching on personalities as a doctrine. Not teaching personalities as a statement of faith. But I personally have been greatly benefited from this, from this teaching. And I believe it will be a benefit and a help to you. And uh, help you become a better man. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. He says, he says may, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible teaches us that we are spirit, soul, and body. Now, most people say body, soul, and spirit. We're not body, soul, and spirit. We are spirit, soul, and body. We are a spirit. We have a soul. And we live in a body. Now, most people believe that the soul of man is his mind, his emotions, and his will. So our personality is a part. Say part. Our personality is a part of our emotions. And so it is a part of our soul. Our spirit is God's breath that's in us. Our spirit is the very breath of God. God created man in the garden, Adam, and God breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life. So our spirit is God's breath that he breathed in Adam, and God's breath or God's spirit made man a living soul or an eternal being. It's the breath of God that makes us an eternal being. It's what separates us from the animals. Man's body dies, right? His body dies. But his soul and spirit never dies. When a person dies, their body dies, but, but immediately upon death, their soul and their spirit go one of two places. Either they go into the presence of God or they go into hell. The Bible says absent from the body. Speaking of Christians, Paul writes in Corinthians, absent from the body, present with the Lord. 
Paul said, I'd rather be absent from the body because if I'm absent from the body, Paul said, that means I'm present with the Lord. So there's no soul sleep. According to Paul, according to the Bible, absent from the body, present with the Lord. The rich man that died who was not saved, the Bible says in he, the rich man died and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments. So the moment that a sinner dies, immediately they are in this horrible place called hell. So the soul and the spirit is eternal. The body is temporary. Part of man's soul is his personality that God gave to him when he was conceived. So we're going to talk about personality. Now there's a lot of different teaching on on this. Uh, Different books describe with different terms, whether it's terms like, you know, how many's ever heard of a type A personality or uh, like animals, you know, he's a lion or he's, yeah. The teaching I'm familiar with, uh, and so that's why I'm, te- but it's all basically, it's basically the same. It's just different terms, but it's the same teaching. And the teaching that I'm familiar with says that all of us have a combination of, uh, of, of four basic, that there are four basic personalities, four basic personalities. And, and one of these basic personalities is the dominant personality of the individual. Okay, so, so in other words... There's four different types of personalities, but out of these four, there's one dominant personality per person. Most people are a combination of of two personalities, but one dominant and one comes along there too, and the other maybe just a little trickling of the other two, but basically one dominant and, and, and then one one other, but basically one dominant personality. Um, and so I want to look at these four basic personalities. I'm going to give all of them to you, and then we're going to talk about each of them separately. I need you to understand that there are no right or wrong personalities. One is not better than the other. All four personality types are needed to balance everything out and make the world go around. Don't be jealous of somebody else's personality. Wish I had their personality. Well, they may be wishing they had yours. And I'll tell you, wishing you had another personality is not going not to get it. Not going to get you there. So you got it. So deal with it. And but just understand that God gave it to you. So why would you not want God's gift? Maybe you just don't understand it, or maybe you're not plugged in to where that personality can boost you and and help you excel because it will help you excel if you understand it and align yourself with that with that personality so understand that God made all four of these basic personalities and all four of these basic personalities have their strengths and they have their weaknesses 
But when I tell you what your strengths are, you're going to be all puffed up. But when I tell you what your weaknesses are, we're going to bring you right back down. Now, the purpose of this teaching is so we can better understand ourselves. Recognize our natural strengths and capitalize on them and align everything we do according to these strengths. Equally important is to understand our natural weaknesses so that we can be aware of those weaknesses and, and first of all, work on those weaknesses, but also make sure that we don't align ourselves in areas where we are weak because we're not going to excel if we align ourselves in those weak areas of our life. How many still tracking with me? So the four basic personalities are identified as the sanguine, the choleric, the melancholy, and the phlegmatic. So let's describe these personalities. The sanguine personality. Let's start with the sanguine. Who is the sanguine? The sanguine is the extrovert. The talker. Uh, sanguine can talk to anybody, doesn't know a stranger, can talk to a fence post and get the fence post to respond to them. Uh, the optimist, the life of the party, the center of attention, the loud, bouncy, fun one. They make fun out of everything, even work. They make a game out of everything, make fun out of everything. The class clown. These people make great salesmen. Because they, they can sell a freezer to an Eskimo. Because people, people aren't buying their product, they're buying into the person. They make great actors. Everybody loves a sanguine. The choleric personality. Powerful. Mover and shaker. Forceful. Optimistic. Ready to take on hell with a water pistol. Leader. Take charge person, even if they're not in charge. Loves a challenge. The melancholy personality, introvert, thinker, deep thinker, processor. Loner, often, sometimes pessimistic. Perfectionist, artsy, musical, analytical, detailed. Recognize anybody in these things yet? The phlegmatic personality, introvert. Watcher, pessimistic, low-key, easygoing, slow-mover, 
never gets in a hurry, steady, dependable, reliable, just good old boy. Somebody, and and you need to understand that not every single one of these will fit for your personality, but three, four, seven will. Somebody described these four personalities like this. Going to put on a play. Going to put on a big production, okay? What's the sanguine going to do? Well, the sanguine's going to be the star. Center of attention. The star. Give me the lead role. The cleric. Be the director. All right, you say this. You stand over there. You do that. The melancholy going to design the stage and the props. The phlegmatic, go sit in the audience and watch. (laughs) Or if they don't get away with that, then they're going to build the set that the melancholy designed. Okay? Now, as I said, most people have a combination of these four basic personalities being dominated by one and then kind of strong maybe a little bit uh, in another with zero or just a sprinkling of the other two. Let's, let's, Let's look at the strengths, the strengths as well as the weaknesses of these four different personalities. The strengths of the... Of the sanguine, good sense of humor, jokester, enthusiastic and demonstrative. Preachers love to have sanguines in the audience because they say amen. Probably dancing on the front row of the church. Cheerful. Nearly always in a good mood. Makes everybody feel better. First to volunteer. They might not show up. But they're going to volunteer. They inspire everybody. People person. It's all about people don't lock the the sanguine in an office and tell him he can't come out till five you'll kill him you gotta have people gotta be around people never meet a stranger spontaneous that's good and that's bad because you're supposed to be working spontaneous Always optimistic. No wonder everybody loves a sanguine, right? Weaknesses of a sanguine. Undisciplined. Habitually late. Forgets appointments. Can't remember what they said. Misplaces things, can't find their keys, can't find their phone. 
unpredictable. Never sure if they're going to show up or not. They make the commitment because it sounds like fun. Yeah, I'll be there next Thursday at 4 o'clock. I'll be there. They forgot they've already made three other commitments at 4 o'clock on Thursday. Never sure what's going to come out of their mouths because they make it up as they go. Disorganized, short attention span, have trouble focusing. That's the sanguine. Now, understand that a lot of, you know, here's the good thing is that, because I'm thinking of some, and I'm going to name this person later, but I'm thinking of someone that is, you know, 127% sanguine, okay? No, actually, he's got some choleric in him too, but he's 99% sanguine, thinking about this certain individual. But a lot of these traits are no longer strong traits, the negative parts, because, see, that's the good thing is when you learn who you are, then you learn how to manage those things. That's why this is important to understand this. So you can learn what my natural uh, uh, negative traits are, and I can manage those things. And I can build in safeguards and different things to help me. Okay, so this makes sense, and it helps. Okay? All right, let's go on. Let's go to the, to the choleric, the choleric strengths. Born leader. The doer. It's things done. Doesn't always do them himself, but he gets them done. Decisive. No wishy-washy. Decisive. Not easily discouraged. Sees the whole picture. A good delegator. Independent. Doesn't need a lot of people. Independent. Self-sufficient, confident, motivator, extremely practical, always lands on his feet. Know anybody like that? Choleric's weaknesses. Can be bossy. Can be overbearing. Frank, just impatient, unaffectionate, not touchy feely. Can be proud. Intolerant, unsympathetic. His standard reply is, get over it. The melancholy strengths. Deep thinker. Thinks below the surface. Thinks in detail. Thinks in color. (laughs) 
very analytical, analyzes everything. Well, I know he said that, but I wonder what he really meant. I know he said that, but I wonder why he said it. I wonder what he's leading into. The wheels are turning. Suspicious. While the sanguine is busy talking and the choleric is busy doing and the phlegmatic is busy watching, the melancholy is busy thinking and processing and planning and creating and inventing. While others are asking the question, what? The melancholy is asking why and how. Intelligent, most geniuses are melancholies. Talented, creative, self-sacrificing, neat and orderly, You go into my son's closet and you'll see all the blue shirts hanging with the collar turned this way and the yellow ones and the gray ones and he don't have any of those colors probably. I'm just making something up. But, and, his, and his slacks are right here and his jeans are right here and his tennis shoes are right here and his dress shoes are right here. And, his, and before he understood who he was and that he was obnoxious with it. Not only did he make sure, back in the day when we had carpet, not only did we, he make sure that the janitors at the church vacuumed every room, but, but, but they had to vacuum the same way in every room. It had to all be the same. Scheduled, purposeful, The weakness of the melancholy, insecure. I told a melancholy one time, I said, I said, uh, everyone thinks you're great but you. Everyone believes in you but you. Insecure, unforgiving, they tend to hold grudges. I'll forgive them, I ain't forgetting. They don't. Hard to please? Well, of course they're hard to please because they demand perfection. And nothing is perfect. So they're hard to please. Overly sensitive, get their feelings hurt easily, tend to sulk. Many of them are prone to depression. Of course they are. They're perfectionists living in an imperfect world. Skeptical. They question motives of people. Critical. 
since they analyze everything and see the glass half empty and expect perfection, of course, they tend to be critical. The phlegmatic, strengths, low-key personality, easy going. They're not going to rock the boat. They're quiet. You may not even know they're there. Calm, cool, collected. Little rocks their world. They're patient. They're consistent. While the sanguine is up and down and the Choleric is here today and on to another challenge tomorrow. The phlegmatic will be the last to move or the last to change. They'll just show up every day and plod along. Routine is comfortable for them. They're good with people. Of course they are because they're not going to rock the boat and they're easily pleased and and, and they don't care where you go eat, and they don't care which movie you watch. And, well, of course they're good with people because they let everybody else control everything. Good listeners. The phlegmatic weaknesses, well, they tend to be unenthusiastic. They don't make good cheerleaders. Raw, raw, raw. Go, go, go. <laughs> Don't make good te- cheerleaders. Their emotions are kind of flat. Never too high, never too low, just kind of flat. Uninvolved, they just rather watch. Indecisive. One phlegmatic lady spent all night at a four-way stop because she couldn't decide whether to go or not. Would rather somebody else make the decision. I'm okay with it as long as I don't have to make the decision. They tend to worry because they see the glass half empty. Timid would rather sit in the corner They tend to be compromising. They'll back down from their viewpoint because they hate conflict. They're reluctant. They're not a risk taker. They want the sure deal even if it's not the best deal. Let me give some random remarks about each of these four basic personalities. The popular sanguine, popular sanguine is best in people-oriented positions, best on stage. It's the most loved personality out of all four. They're the most loved because the sanguine makes everyone feel better and because they are fun. They make life fun. They make their home fun. They make work fun. They make fun funner. I got a sanguine friend that I play golf with, and 
And golf is a game, but he'll make a game out of a game. What I mean, well, you know, if there's people in front of us and we're having a slow day and, we, you know, we have to wait on the next one, you know, there's three of us over here talking. He's not talking. He's made another game. He's seeing how close he takes a couple of balls and see how close to the to the uh, tee he can get with his ball, you know, chipping. and he, Everything's a game, even a game. He makes a game out of a game. Everybody loves the sanguine, popular sanguine. Although they're great starters, they have trouble finishing because they are easily distracted. Rules and regulations and tight structure tend to smother them. The powerful choleric. The popular sanguine, then there's the powerful choleric. Best at jobs that demand quick and immediate decisions. Best at taking on projects that most people shy away from. The project that nobody else will do, the choleric will take it on just to prove he can do it. Tends to intimidate people. Don't mean to. Don't even know they're doing it. But because they are so confident and strong, most people struggle with them in in being intimidated by them. Plus, they usually know what they want to, what they want, and they go after it full speed. They know what they want, and they go after it full speed. The good news is the choleric will get the job done. The bad news is he might run over a few people in the process. So you got the popular sanguine, you got the powerful choleric, and then you got the perfect melancholy. Best with detail-oriented positions. Best in artsy fields or engineering-type jobs. Best in organizing, processing. Then you got the peaceful, the peaceful phlegmatic. They're best in routine. They don't mind doing the same thing over and over again. They excel with the nuts and the bolts of an operation. They don't mind oiling and maintaining the machinery. Don't expect a lot of emotion or enthusiasm from them, but they're going to show up and they're going to do their job day in and day out. Be ready to make decisions for them. They do best at doing what someone else tells them to do. They tend to be people-pleasers. They can lead, but they seldom volunteer to lead. They make good managers. They're not good leaders. They're good managers. Managing or maintaining what already is. Again, let me reiterate the fact that that most people are dominant in one personality with some of another and maybe a sprinkling of the other two, but usually just one main dominant one and one other secondary. And not every trait applies, first of all, because sometimes we, we, we 
learn some things about ourselves. And so we fix those things or we work on those things. And so those things are not necessarily a problem anymore. Again, the benefit of this teaching is to better understand yourself and why you act and react the way you do. Also to discover the personality traits of your wife and your children to better understand their responses and why they think the way they think and why they're like they are. And the good thing is, usually opposites uh, attract. Opposites attract. Thank God. Thank God that the choleric is usually going to attract the phlegmatic. Thank God, because he's got to be in charge. You've got to be in charge. You've got to hold the remote. So thank God he's got a phlegmatic wife that allows it. Hello? Opposites attract. That's a good thing. Not only is it a good thing because for that reason, but also because, because the weaknesses that you have in your personality may be strengths in your mate's personality. And it makes a good union. It makes a very good team. How many think my wife and I make a good team? You know, I'm sweet and nice and easy going and laid back and she's strong and hard and push and, and it works really good, right? Well, you're right, but the other way around, right? All right. Hey, real quick, I got five minutes. Uh, can you find these four personality types in the Bible? Absolutely. The sanguine, the first thing you think about would be Peter. Peter was a sanguine. He was impulsive. He was the first out of the boat. That sounds like, that looks like fun. That looks like fun. Boom, he's out of the boat. Nobody else out of the boat, but sanguine's out there walking on that water. Outspoken. He's the first to chop off the ear. Impulsive. Uninhibited. Always the center of attention. It's always about Peter, right? Speak first, think second. Choleric, the Apostle Paul, strong-willed, decisive, self-sufficient, practical, bold, especially in his writings. The melancholy, Moses, gifted, self-sacrificing, perfectionist, tendency to depression. Phlegmatic could be Abraham, cautious, peaceful, passive, Let Lot choose which direction to go. Reliable, steady. I thought it would be fun to just uh, look at our staff. Are there any clerics on our staff? Your pastor? Your children's pastor? Yes. The other half of your worship pastor. It's funny, Krista grew up as a sanguine choleric because what happens is if you're in the home and your father or the dominant person in your house is what you are, then you you tend to go to that second part and 
and her second part is sanguine. So when we were growing up, we always thought our daughter was sanguine because she was the life of the party. She was the, she was the fun one. She was the, the life. Of, she was always the center of attention. She was, and she has, and she has a lot of sanguine in her. She really does. Uh, but she had to be because her dad was so choleric. And uh, then she met Sean, and two sanguines just won't get anything done. Okay, so. So, so Krista, we thought she was sanguine choleric, but she's really choleric sanguine, as I am. I actually have a, quite a bit of sanguine in, my, in me, actually. I can be fun. I can be crazy. I can be goofy. Uh, I can be the life of the party. I was the star of my sixth grade uh, play. I was Horace in the play in the sixth grade, the lead part. I can be sanguine. I can... I, but I'm choleric, sanguine. Christus, the same as me. And then there's the sanguine. Or do we have any sanguines on our staff? Who's a sanguine on our staff? Sean. About 99.9%, right? Sean's got some choleric in him, too. I've seen it come out a couple of times. One time it was directed at me. <laughs> it's all right. Anybody else on our staff sanguine? Staff, help me out. Huh? Who? Chris Jarnigan. He's not Sean sanguine, but he's sanguine. I think he's got some phlegmatic in him. Would you agree? Who else newly on our staff might be sanguine? I mean, we think you could see a lot of sanguine in Jacob. Okay? See anything else in Jacob? Huh? Sanguine choleric? Okay. All right. Do we have any melancholies on our staff? Who? Who? Clay? Clay. Clay, yes. Anybody else? I may see a lot of a lot of melancholy in in Pastor Landon. A lot of melancholy. Phlegmatic. Do you know of any former staff that might be phlegmatic? Huh? Well, Carl, absolutely. Of the female gender. Dawn has a lot of phlegmatic in her. She also has melancholy in her, but she has more phlegmatic in her. Thank God she's married to this bulldog. How about our deacons? Do we have any melancholies on our deacon board? Do we have two? Are they both named Mark? How many see a lot of melancholy in both Marks? Agree or disagree? In this one, right? <laughs> you see a lot of melancholy in you, Mark? Okay. Any other traits besides melancholy you would see in these guys? Is that their dominant personality, would you think? Huh? Who? 
This mark here. I don't really see it, but maybe. Do we have any phlegmatics on our board? Is there one sitting right there with a red hat on? How many see a lot of phlegmatic in Olu? Do you? Sean, do you see that? What else do you see? He's got some sanguine in him. He is fun. Yeah. He does come in late. No. <laughs> he is from Africa. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if that's... If that's <laughs> and I love him and so I can pick on him, okay? Anybody else? See any in Heath? Huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you for blowing my fun, okay? Any sanguines on my board? Yeah. Ricky. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, hope you enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun to me. I, I think this is a lot of fun, but I think it's very, a really good eye-opener, and I really think it's really, really helpful. And... Uh, Take these home with you if you didn't. If you came in late and didn't get one, there's one that has all the descriptions of all these four personality types. Take them home. Have fun with it. Um, see if you can, you know, your, if your wife, your kids, see if you can, you know, if everybody spots the same same one. And uh, uh, but it'll also help identify who who you are and who God wants you to be. And. Uh, Embrace it. Embrace it. Understand that God made you who you are on purpose. So you can use your God-given traits. Develop the positive ones and work on the negative ones. Father, I thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I thank you, Lord, that we did not come off an assembly line. I thank you, Lord, that Lord, there are things that are unique to me that are different than others and others things that are unique to them that are not traits of mine. Thank you, Lord, that we all have... Uh, positive traits that you can use. There are some negative things, but we can work on these things and, and we can understand each other a lot better and understand ourselves better and work in these, these areas. And uh, Lord, just help us, Father. Help us to use this teaching to become better men. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming out, guys. Hopefully you'll be back next Wednesday night. But don't forget we have Sunday before next Wednesday.